Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 148 is returning guest Richard Davidson. Welcome back. Hi there. Happy to be back. I apologise for forgetting that you've been on before, but I've had a lot of guests, you understand, and I'm very old, uh, which I, I, I gather is... Uh, the, the fact that I mention that a lot is now uh, on our TV Tropes page that somebody's done for us. Sure. <laughs> the Kane and Rince TV Tropes page. Uh, I don't know how that happened or why, but uh, but there it is. Uh, me mentioning my age is, is a trope of the show. Uh, but well, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> um, so yes, welcome back. It's been it's been almost a year and a half, so I think that's a, that's a sufficient gap. Uh, enough has happened in our lives, and more music has emerged. Uh, and as such, this show's going to be quite a lot of recent tracks. Everything's from the last three or four years, I think. Uh, and I I deliberately selected stuff from the uh, from our pile of requests from the community that is also uh, relatively recent. And I thought we'd have that sort of as a little theme. Um, but we've opened the show as always with. With the request from the guest and we've started with some music that's uh, by a composer familiar to listeners of sound of play and cana rinse as well probably uh, something from persona 5 layer cake so why did you pick that one for us this time rich so essentially picking anything from persona 5 is a bit like low-hanging fruit because everything is absolutely fantastic but layer cake is one of those sort of bizarre songs that is it's just, it just comes out of nowhere. It's essentially the shop song. So to have such a kind of sinister yeah. song 
within mm-hmm. the store it just feels really bizarre but I, I think it's fantastic and uh for me I, I love the idea that the the it seems like a song that's made by the bass guitarist and he's like look I've, I've got something to show you here and then the organ player is going yeah yeah i like that but i can do one better and they just sort of riff and jam like two session musicians right i think it's excellent yeah yeah i do like a good song tune i'm thinking now of the shenmue one of course uh, a bit of uh shop like yeah, muzak elevator <laughs> muzak style shop music which they do actually have in japan which is why why it's there in in shenmue uh and there's also the one in uh Twilight Princess, isn't it? The sure. uh, Malon's, is it Malon? The little baby face guy? I he's couldn't a, tell you. Who knows? He's got, a, yeah. he's got a kind of funny tune that plays. Uh, yeah, if you have a favourite video game shop tune, do request it over at canarince.com slash forum. Uh, we can do a special. This is probably a little bit um, like part in the kimono, but there was a, a moment where I considered putting the music from the Wii Shop channel on as a, as a piece of as a piece of music but it was oh, yeah. a bit bizarre because when you do a bit of due diligence on the the Wii Shop channel music and you're thinking whoa hang on a moment there's not really much here to talk about so we'll we'll peel well, that back and put something different on I'd I'd have been behind that uh, I'm I I I'm not even 100% sure that we've never played it but uh but it's certainly a an earworm there's lots of there's a kind of meme around it as well isn't there I think uh, a, a little of, of a meme where people have put it to kind of inappropriate videos <laughs> Absolutely yeah yeah but I I'm a real fan of uh of that of the Wii uh, and general Nintendo menu music we've we've discussed it in recent times it's come up um I think uh uh, Totoka Kazumi Totoka is one of the main composers there. We, we've featured the NES and uh, SNES Mini menu music on this show recently. Sure. Uh, the, I think the, the Wii U eShop has several tunes that it uses in rotation. Um, and uh, but yeah, sadly the the Wii eShop is now. I mean, you can still go on it, but you can't use it anymore. It's uh, it's kind of defunct, which is uh, which is a real shame. Um, that service is discontinued, and I do understand that this is where. Because I, I I buy a lot of stuff digitally. I still have some discs as well, but I'm I I appreciate the the digital sort of convenience and 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 the sort of the positive elements of that. But I do understand the physical advocates' arguments against it, and it's been demonstrated here by the fact that there are now certain really excellent WiiWare games which are now literally unavailable. Sure, I think um, with shop music in particular, it seems like a bit of a dark art to make something that's memorable and at the same time totally innocuous. So it has no real like offense or any kind of uh, prominence within what you do. And and uh, I definitely think this song kind of captures that essence. I think there's some real skill to yeah jingle writing and and music writing that perhaps people don't appreciate. And I have a feeling that there's some great names of, of composition who have either started in advertising or gone on to advertising and some famous a- advertising jingles that were written by great composers and, and all that kind of thing. I, obviously, I suppose the most famous example is uh, Hans Zimmer sort of starting with uh, cheesy game show music and stuff like that before going on to these incredibly uh, you know, powerful uh, and famous movie scores. <laughs> I had no idea. It seems like a slippery slope, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, uh, do you remember Going for Gold, the eighties uh, <laughs> yeah. quiz show? Unfortunately, yeah, yeah that's do, one yeah. of Hans Zimmer's. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows what people like it will of? Sure. Ch- check it out uh yeah if you're not familiar with the 80s uh, pan european game show uh go 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 for gold with henry kelly it was a lunchtime daytime tv show on uk and ireland uh, irish telly and possibly shown in europe as well i'm not sure uh it was where people from uh, the the mainland 
continental Europe and Scandinavia uh, showed how much more intelligent they were than British people in their second language. <laughs> uh, that was pretty much it. Uh, so, yeah, it uh, would, wouldn't have gone down very well these days, possibly. Next up, we have a track from the forum requested by Loki. I assume it's like Loki the... Loki the Loki god, you know, him. Uh, this piece works so wonderfully with the moves of the actual boss from Dark Souls 3. The large sweeping arcs of fire and steel like a brush that paints a story of sacrifice and brotherhood. The desperation can be felt in the strings and the lamentation of the choir invokes the end of a long road travelled. It perfectly embodies what Dark Souls 3 meant to the series as a whole and, in my opinion, tops off what is a thoroughly amazing soundtrack. This is Abyss Watchers.
Abyss Watchers by Yuka Kitamura. From Dark Souls 3, I thought uh, it would be apposite to play a Dark Souls track. Uh, we're recording just, uh, what, two days after the Dark Souls remaster has come out. Is that something you're indulging in, uh, my guest, Richard? Um, I, I've considered it because my past with the Dark Souls uh, franchise is a bit weird in the sense that I actually really enjoyed Demon Souls, Dark Souls yeah. 2, Dark Souls 3. And for some reason, I, I had a really miserable time playing Dark Souls huh. 1. And um, I know you're not completely alone in that, but it is perhaps the unusual uh, response to the, those games. Sure. And I think I can pinpoint what it is. So yeah. I played the game Unpatched. And I played the game ah. in in a state where it was very easy to put yourself in, in a fail state, essentially. So I played the game where I was permanently cursed, meaning I had half health. I was offline um. at the time because my home had no internet, so I couldn't summon anybody. And it just felt like a real <laughs> slog. Madness. Was this in the Dark Ages? Uh, it's probably more of an indictment of where I live and the quality of the internet connection that's than anything really but um i did get through it um i'd love to go back and, and and redo it because it seems like one of those games that you can't get away from and now i know what i'm doing i think i might be able to sort of rewrite some of those uh real negative memories that i had at the time because i've had such a good time playing the other games specifically yeah. dark souls 3 in this case it's an excellent game i think uh, it would be the remaster would be the way to do it uh although it's by no means a kind of um top end remaster it's not like a blue point remaking shadow of the colossus or even a blue point doing up one of somebody else's games it's quite a bare bones remaster as they go but it just does enough to to make this already very beloved game uh run just that little bit nicer look that little bit nicer fixes a few things adds all the dlc in and whatever else so it might not be uh as lavish a, a, a and full-blown a a, a remal- remaster as it could have been but it does i think you know smooth off a few things without losing any of the the original kind of you know, atmosphere and feel of, of Dark Souls. I, sure. I went I went for the PC version just because that's the version I already had. And there is an argument that it's 17 quid for a patch, uh, but it does mean 60 frames, higher resolution, Blight Town now doesn't run terribly and, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think um, now you've played the other games in the series, I think you probably go back to that remaster on PS4 or whatever and have a great time with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head with the the remaster because it it really has to be a hard uh, task, specifically with something as beloved as as Dark Souls, to to try and change it or improve upon it without actually um, mitigating some of the, the essence of it in the first place, you know? Yeah, we had a real, uh, a long, many conversations about the Shadow of the Colossus remake, which obviously came out earlier this year by Bluepoint. It was, uh, although it keeps the, the core code of the original game, it uh, it redoes everything. It looks, you know, it looks quite different from my point of view. As somebody who liked but didn't love Shadow of the Colossus, I think it's one of the best remasters, the re- remakes. It, I think it looks stunning. I think it retains everything that I liked about the original game. But People like Josh, who is uh, Josh of, of Kane and Rince, who's a kind of Shadow of the Colossus super fan. He feels that the overly, uh, the, 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 the new art is kind of overly lavish and actually detracts from the very bleak kind of uh, lost, desolate atmosphere of the original. Um, so I guess that's that's the thing with 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 these things. See, my my very real hope is that Sony will announce that Bluepoint are doing a similar job with Demon's Souls uh, for PS4 
and I would embrace that wholeheartedly. I went back to Demon's Souls the other day, actually, and it, it still looks great, still still super cool game. Obviously, the online stuff is now deactivated, but it is a game where I think they could do a magnificent job of bringing the visuals up to date for 4K, you know, uh, HDR and all that on, on the PS4 and PS4 Pro. I, I, would, I would love to see that. I don't know about you. I couldn't agree more. I think the uh, online aspect of Demon's Souls was so like oblique and impenetrable when I played it in what, yeah. 2009 perhaps? Yeah. It yeah. was impossible to kind of comprehend. So going back there with a full suite of um, like community members to be able to go and do that might actually be a really interesting way to do it. But I, I love Demon's Souls. I think it's fantastic. I love it more for its inverted difficulty curve than, <laughs> than anything else. It starts off impossible and becomes incredibly easy as the game goes along. Well, oh, good. Maybe not incredibly easy, but certainly easier. Easier, yes. Yeah, that, well, that's good to know because I'm still quite near the beginning after all these years. I've been hacking around in the early stages and uh, yeah, one day maybe I'll, I'll get beyond. Uh, but yeah, it still retains a mighty powerful uh, and um, daunting atmosphere, which is obviously what it's all about. Enough Souls talk. Uh, you've brought a piece from a game we have yet to cover on the other podcast, Kane and Rince. Uh, it's been requested a lot of times. I think it's something we may well do someday. But Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. So were you one of those that were satisfied with this conclusion to the Metal Gear Solid under Kojima? The, uh, the, wow, okay. That seems like quite a like a, a vast question to pick yeah. apart. But I think what I say to you is this. I it, it, I it is the only game I've ever played where I've got the Platinum Trophy. I don't tend to do right. that with anything. Wow. But uh, Metal Gear Solid Five was the one that kind of got us hooked in. And I think the way that I did it is played it in two tranches where I, would, I did the first uh, tranche doing the, the storyline and doing that and then going back alongside Editor J to do the submissions and all of the yes. extra stuff at the same time he I mean, tells me that getting the platinum on this game is quite a mighty task um i think so i think it's more a case of the the scale of everything that you need to do than the difficulty that's yes. there because it seems to be quite a natural curve in terms of you upgrading your equipment and, and having the means to get everything and then actually being able to do it and it becomes more a case of like any game where it's all about learning the choreography of the npcs which is quite a difficult game to do with an ai as sophisticated as this and then actually sort of passing out on that so there's this one level that i think jay stuck on called up up no uh one down one up or one up uh -huh. one down excuse me and it is like the, the timings are so specific that you have to be able to know exactly what to do, exactly when to do it, and, and sort of read the behavior of the enemies to be able to get there. So I, I think it's great. In terms of whether or not I was satisfied with the story, I, I, I don't think so. I think it probably needed to just stay a little bit longer to be able to pull together some of the, the central themes and, and, and kind of pull something that was a bit more comprehensive and, well, a bit more like understandable, really, than, than what we got. But at the same time, it'd be hard to say that I didn't enjoy it, given that I've got the Platinum Trophy. In fact, yeah. I'd, I'd probably say it, it was probably my favorite game of all time, which is something that is a bit kind of hyperbolic. But actually, when I think about it, I've, I've enjoyed it. If it is, it. it is. Yeah. And um, I think when I finished it, I was still looking for more, still looking for more gameplay. And I knew that Survive was coming around the corner and I uh, haven't been back to that i haven't revisited it and i haven't really had any inclination to go to survive so i don't know what that says i think what i've done is i've 
put that to bed and, and come to terms with the fact that moving on to Death Stranding might actually give me a little bit more of what I was hoping for in the long run. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so tell us about this piece of music that you've brought for the show. It's a bit of a deep cut because what we're diving into is like some heavy Metal Gear Solid 5 in particular lore, but this is the, the piece of music that accompanies Paz, who's the serendipitously named triple agent i guess I, I really feel like i'm not the person to go into the the lore of metal gear because it's convoluted at best and my memory is very uh, um yeah. difficult and not very cooperative at the best of times <laughs> but it, if if we're allowed to spoil what is now what a two or three year old game at this point it's the point when uh venom snake comes across paz again and if you've played ground zeros you'll know that paz is uh the, the person who actually had two two bombs put inside them, one of which was extracted by the medic and Ooh. one which uh, blew up. So it, it raises a question about why Paz is there, having uh, the knowledge that she blew up and, and it comes alongside that. So it's, a, it's, it's like a lilting song to try and sort of demonstrate Snake's relationship with Paz at the same time. And um, I'm a bit conscientious about spoiling it, but I think the relationship that Snake... Venom Snake in this case has with Paz is another sort of level of, of what a fandom pain is. So let's say that if you have the time and the patience to kind of go in 100 hours into the game, you'll be able to unpack that relationship a bit more and see what I'm saying. But without permission to spoil this, I think I'll leave it there. Nicely done. Okay, let's hear Beautiful Mirage. by one of the composers who worked on Metal Gear Solid V, Ludwig Forsell. That was Beautiful Mirage from Metal Gear Solid V Phantom Pain 2015. It even came out on last generation formats. That's how long ago that was. Yeah. Now, uh, we have a, a rare piece. Occasionally we play something from World of Warcraft. It's not that often, but uh, the reason it stood out to me this time was because I recently put up a new story on our Facebook page Follow us on there if you don't already. Give us a like. Uh, about uh, This was uh, a news story sorry, in, on GamesRadar, 
came out uh, earlier this year, actually. But it was about how World of Warcraft has changed so dramatically in recent times that it's a substantially different experience. Um, one that is uh, apparently considerably more accessible to new players and one that's much more makes the game much more possible to play solo and not rely on other groups always being available, which was kind of the game's stock in trade back in the mid-2000s when it was fresh and new. So, Rich, uh, did you ever indulge in this MMO or anything like it? So I'm a 32-year-old male. I think when Warcraft came out in 2004? Yeah. I would have been uh, eighteen, so yeah, huh. that, of course I did. Yeah, I think I think I'm one of those kind of generation right. people that fell upon it. I had um, a, like a modest amount of time in there. I think I, yeah. I managed to sort of naturally reach a like a higher level, but then the obligatory um, grind set in and the sort of existential questions about whether or not this is healthy set mm. in at the same time, which yeah. seems to have permeated a lot of of those kind of things. I, I'm kind of fascinated to see like what the the motivation was to make it a single player game and, and why they felt that that was a direction that they needed to take. I mean, well, I, I put that up just sort of. I don't um, think it's quite that it's a single player game. I just think it's now more feasible for those who don't come together with a large social group to continue to roam freely and make progress without relying on it. Sure. But I think, I think co-op's still a huge part of it if you want it to be. Uh, and I think that would no doubt still expedite your your progress with with your characters but i think they've just uh i don't know what the player base is now famously it was up to i don't know was it like 11 million at its peak or something and it mm. has steadily declined in recent years but i think it, it may have sort of leveled out plateaued at some millions i don't know how many obviously it is a 14 year old game there have been lots of uh alternatives but actually the expansions continue to come out, I think. I mean, this music we're going to hear is from the 2016 uh, Bolt-On Legion. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a to be honest, it's, it's a bit of a mystery to me. I remember my cousin uh, at the time uh, importing World of Warcraft in 2004 because it came out in America slightly ahead of Europe. And he was absolutely stoked for it. And I think he ended up kind of basing his life around it for several years after this. Uh, I watched him play it a bit. And obviously I've seen videos and I've seen the memes and, and all that kind of thing. But I've never actually had hands on with it. Uh, I guess the longest I spent looking at it was probably in that South Park episode, which is in itself over 10 years old now wow uh, okay yeah i mean yeah. the the fact that um that you had that kind of brief encounter with it is probably a good thing more than anything really probably for the the, be the best probably if you've got a, um like an addictive personality yeah yeah i can i can be rather all or nothing although with online games i tend to be uh, very dabbly uh, which is also detrimental um in the sense that as uh, as we've recently found i've played monster hunter world with you but of course uh because you've played it way more uh consistently and regularly than i have our our game clocks are now you know Im immeasurably different and and therefore our character strengths are you know laughably uh, sure. uh opposed um and i think uh, yeah unless you unless you kind of commit to, to these games, um, 
like like Warcraft with your group. Um, yeah, I think it's easy to get left behind. And I guess that comes back to why they've made it more possible. So, yes, I mean, you know, I have the Blizzard client installed on, on my PC because, you know, why wouldn't you? It's got Overwatch on there and, and, uh, and Diablo and other things. So it would be very easy for me to actually install World of Warcraft right now and have a go on the free trial. But it's not compatible with my life or yeah the podcast or anything like that sure. so, yeah anyway this request comes from magician arcana who says i think world of warcraft has some really excellent music and they certainly didn't disappoint me with the soundtrack in legion the most recent expansion or at least it was at the time of uh, this request i don't know if that's still the case to be honest uh, the first time i heard this song it brought a tear to my eye so another moody and modern piece for this sound of play this is canticle of sacrifice by Russell Brower and uh, it features Nella.
2016 expansion Legion for World of Warcraft. That was Russell Brower featuring Nella and Canticle of Sacrifice. I don't know what a Canticle is. I don't know if it's a real thing or a World of Warcraft thing. Any ideas? It sounds it, oh, goodness me, no. I'm like not interested in semantics. What matters is probably it sounds like it could be English, and I think we can pull together something like that. Who, who okay, knows? I've googled it while you were speaking there. Thanks for buying me that time. It is uh, Canticle, <laughs> as in chant, a hymn or chant, typically with a biblical text, forming a regular part of a church service which is why I don't know about it <laughs> as a confirmed <laughs> atheist uh, or, or strong agnostic, shall we say. Right. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm joined here by uh, Richard Davidson, friend of the show, uh, previous guest of Sound of Play, regular Monster Hunter with uh, our Jay, more of which in a bit. But before we talk Monster Hunter in a couple of tunes time, uh, we have something from last year's uh, cult smash near Automata. Lo- did you love the game or just the soundtrack? Was it it's hard the- not to love the soundtrack, I suppose. Like, I think, it, again, it's like a, another one of those situations where it's easy to select something from the soundtrack because it is just resplendent and completely incredible in all in all aspects. And it's something that I actually have downloaded. I use it while I work and, and, yeah. and I can kind of drift off and, and zone out into some fugue state with it. But in terms of the game... Um, yeah, I, I I guess. I mean, that sounds like a really strange uh, stance to take on something that I'm recommending. And I think um, what I would say, and I I think nobody really addresses it in this way, is the first two playthroughs of that game that I had were yeah. really good, like really interesting, really kind of thought provoking. Uh, the difficulty was absolutely fine, and I was zooming through it and thinking, yeah, this is an absolute contender for for my game of the year. Mm. Then that third playthrough hit, and no my spoilers, God, please. Absolutely not. The difficulty spike on that third playthrough is the most egregious difficulty spike Ooh. I think I've ever played in any game. You're the first person I've heard say that. I'd love I, to have a I conversation think. with somebody who has more experience in it. So I'll, I'll tell you what I did. It, mm. it seemed like a, a situation where the enemies were a little bit more aggressive, but not certainly something that was going to kind of take away from the game. But they had a, a tank of health that right. just made everything far more complicated and, and elongated and protracted. And I was like, mm. I, I can't do this. I need to take some time away. And what I did is actually something that I'm not proud of, but probably have to admit, I put all of the assists on in the game okay. and essentially allowed the game to play itself and wow. just play it as a visual novel. And what I, what I realized is that there was a sort of skill that was required that is just above my patience and my inclination. And so I just allowed hmm. the game to do itself and got a lot out of it that way. Is and that I know almost that, a meta piece of commentary on the nature of AI in itself by the developers? I would love to say that. I would absolutely love to say <laughs> that. But I think one of the things is it came out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere. And I was like, this is very, very, very difficult. And, and so I need to do something about it. So in turning off all the assists, it meant that it dodged by itself. It meant that it attacked largely by itself wow. and there was a sense of like you can see where the game wants you to be and i appreciate that i need to be there i'm just not quite there yet so let's enjoy it as it is and 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 actually i was able to to go back to it and see more of it i'd love to get there someday it's probably going to be a bit difficult but the, I, I thought the game was incredible and i think the the music is incredible i think everybody who suggests something is is right to suggest the song that they did just this particular song here seems to kind of uh, like capture my imagination and and sort of sinks into my subconsciousness and yeah I, I love every moment of it. Mm-hmm. 
That was City Ruins by Keichi Okabe from the fascinating Near Automata, which will almost certainly at some point in the future lead to uh, an excellent two-hour conversation on our other podcast, Kana Rinse. Uh, we did cover the original Near some time back. Seek it out on your podcast platform of choice or just head to kanarinse.com. You can listen to all the old uh, podcasts there. I'm joined by Rich Davison of the Kane Rince community, who was a fan of that game. Uh, and now we have uh, another request from the forum, Maxstat. This is from a game which I know at least two or three of the team are awaiting a Switch conversion, which has been announced and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. The game is Hollow Knight, currently still available for PC and Mac and on Steam and elsewhere. Uh, Maxstat says, It's a Metroidvania-style game in a weird bug world with a very eerie atmosphere. Its soundtrack fits this mysterious world perfectly. So this is Christopher Larkin. I don't think we featured Christopher's work before. Forgive me if I'm wrong. This is a piece called Dirt Mouth. From Team Cherry's Hollow Knight Dirt Mouth by Christopher Larkin, another moody recent piece in this Sound of Play 148. So I said before that we would talk a little bit of Monster Hunter, which we definitely ought to. Uh, Rich here, my guest is somebody who I've spent, uh, I've, I've got this meagre paltry clock of 30 something hours on my Monster Hunter world game. I booted out today just to see where I was at. And yes, I'm still there. Uh, I know that at least I know that I can uh, I can ask call upon uh, Richard and, and our Jay to uh, help me get through the story into apparently the bit where the game actually opens up. Uh, but uh, someday and uh, I still yeah, I'm still very much into the game. It's just had to take uh, aside while we've been playing things like Final Fantasy. And please do. Please do. Evil. I mean, I'm looking for a reason to go back in there. We've not like curtailed the gameplay. It's just that there doesn't really seem to be much to kind of move no. towards at this point. So if you're looking to try and expedite and, yeah. and bring yourself up to speed, by all means, and that I suppose that goes for anybody. I will. 
Fantastic. Yeah, I've uh, I should have because um, I've got a couple of podcasts that I'm not on coming up, so I may have a bit of time to get back and uh, get the momentum going again because I've had a yeah, fine time with it. Um, I've dabbled with Monster Hunter in the past, not like you have. Uh, but this is certainly the game that has proved the most uh, accessible of the series, very very much by design by Capcom, I'm sure, uh, and it's, it's absolutely worked for them. Very happy, though, regardless of the success of World and the, and the, the niceties that it brought to it to uh, learn that they are bringing the Generations uh, game to switch uh, switch the in, in the west which obviously it was already out in japan and you can play it but uh, it'll certainly be easier to um get your head around but it, i think it'll be a bit of a shock to some people who have played world to then go back to even the very one previous game in the series just because all the stuff that used to seem normal in monster hunter but that, but that will now seem weird like the subdivided areas and things is going to seem quite retro i think to people who have started with world how do you think that's going to go across the the quality of life contributions that they did in monster hunter world were really intelligent and really um considered so the so essentially going back to anything that isn't that is going to probably seem quite archaic and let's be honest annoying yeah but i suppose if you have a, a kind of history with the game it's just going to be more of the same so yeah I, I, i'm i'm worried i don't i mean i have a switch i'm not sure i'll pick it up because i think that's probably an unhealthy amount of time spent on monster <laughs> I've probably got about two and a half thousand hours across all of the games at this point. And wow. I don't know if that is a, a normal amount for Monster Hunter. It seems like a, a, a bizarre amount for any one particular series, but for Monster Hunter, I think that's probably about right. I would imagine there's some players who like completely dwarf that. Maybe in so. Every way. But I think you've probably uh, earned yourself on the panel if we ever uh, get round to covering either the series or, or a game from the series on, uh, on the podcast. Absolutely, I'm yeah. sure you would. Hours. You'd be very welcome. Uh, and yeah, it's also the thing that I really loved about World and, and love about it is the fact that while it did bring things up to date in a certain extent and brought the, the franchise to modern big home platforms, it didn't upset or alienate seemingly anyone who was already a fan of the series i've not heard one sort of naysayer saying oh they ruined it by changing this or changing that or you know they've dumbed it down maybe it is out there on the hardcore monster hunter forums but even things like even things that i thought maybe weren't positive changes like one of the things i did enjoy about the previous games and i haven't played them anything like as much as you have but i actually thought like the paint tagging and stuff was really cool and i sure. thought that maybe taking that away was a was a slight element of uh, over sort of um, kowtowing to modern players but maybe yeah. maybe it was just the right thing to do i don't know how you feel about that so yeah i think it was a fundamental tenet of, of monster Hunter beforehand and really gave you the sense that you were hunting yes monster. i think um it does wear on you so if you're spending any length of time hunting something then it, it becomes a real nuisance because yeah what it, what you ultimately do is is learn this again like learn the choreography of the monsters and then you you sort of pick up on the tells and you know where they're going in the previous iterations of monster Hunter, when you'd move between the zones you could almost tell where things were going at the same time but there was mm. a few different variations and it just became really frustrating and again it's another one of those expendable resources that you have to try and uh, save for or manufacture and yeah I, I was not unpleased in any way to realize you know that's gone I think it's uh 
it was a refreshing break for someone like me who spent a lot of time yeah, doing it. Fair enough. I thought maybe there might have been a happy medium, a halfway house where you still had to tag things manually, but then it they stayed tagged rather than wearing off. Some some kind of compromise along those lines. I think lines. If, if you look at what they've tried to do, so they've kind of created this holistic sense where you uh, study the monster and you pick up its tracks and you, you, you're kind of learning about the monster yeah. in a more like natural methods. So if you do do the tracks or you do select um, or carve things from the monster, you're getting, I suppose, arbitrary points to, to learn more about it. And you've got a book and it, it kind of makes sense like, oh, look, your character is able to um, appreciate the tracks on the thing and you can, you can follow it around. So I suppose there's a there's an argument to be made towards that, yeah. But mm. maybe I'm, I'm reaching. Who knows? <laughs> and how do you feel overall about the Monster Hunter World soundtrack? So I know that you've played this probably more in co-op with headsets on and with two or three other people the whole time. So maybe the music doesn't always go in in the same way as it would as if you were playing solo. But I don't know. Maybe you've put another hundred hours in on your own. <laughs> maybe. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I do tend to play... Uh, co-op but i did famous say famously famously in the group that we're on do the same monster i think it was 48 times to try and do a, a drop and it was oh, about 12 wow. minutes per it was an elder dragon 12 Grantastic. minutes per elder dragon mm. and um just as a bit of a social experiment to learn about the rng so i, I got very familiar with certain tracks. <laughs> your own limits as a human being Oh, no doubt, yeah. I started having very deep conversations with myself about what I was doing. It became an obsession. <laughs> but in terms of the soundtrack, there's a lot of brass. I think that's what I would yes. say. So to have that, um, so this track that I've selected uh, is is no brass. And it's quite a nice change. And just to give a bit of context, it's a, it's a piece of music that exists in your home hub. So if you're spending like 80 hours in the game, I suppose, uh, you can upgrade your home hub and this is what you get when you have the the full suite as it were the full extent of the upgrades and it's a it, well it's a heart piece that's played by the palicos which are those little cats oh. and it is both gorgeous and absolutely like infatuating at the same time just watching these little palicos playing this music for your amusement <laughs>
So yes, you'll have enjoyed that all the more. Gorgeous Days, Private Suite by Yuko Komiyama. If you imagine that it was composed and performed by a group of sentient cats. Uh, as with everything in Monster Hunter. <laughs> uh, yes, if you are a cat person, um, I think Monster Hunter actually gains kind of kudos uh, in, in that respect because, yeah, you've got cat helpers and cat cooks. And, yeah, if, if you're into cats, as I believe the internet suggests uh, a number of people are, uh, the, I mean, it's, that, it's this weird thing. It does actually quite... Uh, adeptly illustrate one of the problems i have with uh, i've been i'm a lifelong vegetarian but i'm not you know i'm not i'm not vegan so i i can't really i you know i don't get on my high horse about about animal rights i try not to and that sort of thing but i i have always had a problem where people differentiate between the cute animals that they won't eat and the not cute animals that they will eat uh, i always find that a bit uh, you know it's 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 rather too convenient isn't it um and actually i think cows are very you know lovely looking animals and so i don't want to eat them either any more than i want to eat bunnies or you know whatever else but monster hunter you you have this very obvious delineation between every monster and your cat friends the cat friends are okay um somehow they just suggest they 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 give off that extra bit of um some kind of personality that means that they're they're uh, they're human um or, or yeah uh, they, they have they have some kind of self-awareness but i mean having said that a lot of the monsters are really you know they've got something going on haven't they beyond just being monsters they 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 can be crafty uh, they've got personality and they've got like inclinations towards certain things some monsters will eat certain things yeah. you know there's like a, one of the most aggressive monsters the diabolos is a vegetarian so yeah, it's just like interesting uh, to kind of expand on that. But I have to say, I didn't really investigate it in any real detail. Um, but uh, no doubt, next time I go in there, I'll, I'll probably feel quite sorry about Monster Hunt. So. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. I think we've talked about this before, possibly on Sound of Play or, or elsewhere. But uh, it, it does. I know some people actually do find it a problematic game in, in the sense that it is about hunting animals, which I, you know, I... I find odd because i am i'm vegetarian i'm i'm pro animal in real life and uh, and i can i role play the game i'm playing a monster hunter and i'm not actually killing any animals i'm there you know you can quite easily reduce them to the digital zeros and ones and artists work that they they are uh, and also i've done infinitely worse things in video games <laughs> Uh, and I suspect a lot of the people who wrote those kind of think pieces about how mean and cruel Monster Hunter is have probably probably done worse things themselves in other games. But um, I think I, f I find it easy to justify that that is the society in which you are operating. But obviously, if you don't want to play that role, then don't play Monster Hunter. Simple. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, there, there is the means within the game to do that. Grab a bagpipe or a didgeridoo and just support your your friends and be a sort of conscientious objector. <laughs> I can't imagine that's going to be the most interesting. Just go, play, just go picking herbs. Sure. Playing the bagpipes. Yeah. Uh, now we have another request for our penultimate track for this sound of play from the community from Azure. This is again from a relatively recent and popular, well-regarded, independently developed game. Uh, it says there's quite a bit of pleasant music in Night of the Woods, from the energetic and eerie themes in the Demon Tower minigame levels to the dynamic orchestrations of the dream sequences. But I think this has been my lasting favourite as a single track. This is called Mallard's Tomb. <laughs> Thank you. 
By Alec Holofka from Night in the Woods. Uh, the developers I notice are credited as four different teams. I don't know if that's to do with different versions or whatever, but uh, Infinite Fall, Secret Lab, 22nd Century Toys, and released by Finji. A lot of unfamiliar names there, but Night in the Woods is on my uh, wish list. 
don't think it's been on PlayStation Plus or anything yet. So uh, probably I'm a bit too contemporary at this point, no doubt yeah. at all. Make an appearance. Yeah, but uh, I do try to not wait for everything to be on one of the free services because yeah, it's uh, it's good to you know good to get some. Obviously, they do get paid for those uh, those appearances, but uh, I think it's good to um, you know keep the money flowing if you can. Um, yeah, it sounds like an interesting game, and uh, yeah, another uh, modern moody piece for this vaguely loosely themed sound of play remember please venture over to the forum as i say at canarince.com there's a forum link there uh, we also have a twitter of course at canarince you can use the hashtag sound of play on there if you want to make a request or you can go to the facebook page even and uh, do the same choose a favorite a music uh, a, a piece from a shop um, or another mini game or sub level, whatever you like, or a main theme, even. Uh, we'll consider everything and we'll continue to include a selection in the playlist for each regular sound of play. Uh, please subscribe if you don't already. Leave us an Apple podcast or iTunes review or rating or whatever other service you use. Uh, it's all very good for us. Uh, follow us, as I say, on the social media. We have an Instagram as well. And if you've enjoyed the show and you appreciate the time and effort we put into all our podcasts, patreon.com slash rinse And for just a dollar a month, you can get every show early, uh, every Kane and Rinse show early. Not this. This just comes out on Wednesday regardless. And an exclusive monthly minicast and forthcoming uh, format specials will be three months early to patrons and you just know that you're helping us keep on doing what we're doing uh, so before we hear from this last track and we've we've kind of we're, we're making special dispensation but uh but we'll go into that uh richie have you got anything you want to mention you mentioned people monster hunting with you so if nothing else i guess your psn name is something you might want to give out Sure, of course. So I, I don't really have any in their presence, largely because I've got nothing interesting to say. But if you do want to come and join a Monster Hunter or anything on PlayStation, by all means, please do. Um, my gamer tag, I believe, is follow underscore my underscore ruin on PSN. Sounds uh, right. There's a lengthy tale and dull tale about why that is. But um, please do just join us if you want. Like, I'm indifferent. I'm happy to talk to anyone. And FM Ruin on Twitter. That's right. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, so thanks for joining me again, uh, and thank you to all our community contributors. Do keep them coming. So, we've always said uh, that we don't do licensed tracks unless they are very strongly or almost exclusively associated with the game in question. Uh, does this qualify, Richard? I think so, yeah. I think okay. uh, so. Let's go into it. The song yeah. is Warning Call by the band Churches from. Yep. Uh, the game Mirror's Edge Catalyst from 2016. Mm. Uh, it is a song that was made in line with the game, and it's not something that's commercially available on their albums. Okay, that works it, for me. It's a great song. I think there's not really that much to say about the song, other than the fact it's it's awesome and indicative of Churches itself. But I think one of the reasons that I mentioned it is because I'm, I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by Mirror's Edge Catalyst, the game. <laughs> really? So, yeah, just, just where it is, where it exists in time, what it is as well, I think it's, it's just great. So... The game itself is is fine, which seems like I'm damning it with fame praise, but yeah, I suppose that's the truth. The storyline is, is hot garbage, so nobody plays it for that, but actually, <laughs> when you think about what was being delivered, it seems to have been exactly what the community was asking for. So everybody hmm. knew that Mirror's Edge was on the cards, everybody was clamoring for a sequel, and this game is bigger and more open and more expansive than the original, and it seems to have basically not sort of set the world on fire i'm not sure no. whether or not i've done gangbusters and sales but no. the reviews were really kind of temperate you know so. yeah 
Yeah, uh, I was I was not a huge fan of the original game. Uh, I think perhaps I did it a slight disservice in that I played through the the campaign and never really engaged with the the sort of the time trial speed running aspect, which yeah. I think is maybe where the game for a lot of people kind of came alive. Um, so I wasn't motivated by the existence of a sequel. But I know some people really adored the original, and I think to almost to a person, as far as anecdotally goes in my experience uh there was a genuine sense of just yeah meh disappointment on weird yeah absolutely i think um it it needed probably to have more of a i mean this is totally subjective but i think it needed more of a um a reason to play multiplayer so what you could do is you could make your own kind of free running courses and do a time trial which is all well and good mm. it just didn't really catch on and i've got a theory behind this and it's probably a bit of a if you allow me we'll put our tinfoil hats on here and have a chat about <laughs> it go for it It came out in 2016 so you have to look at what year we're doing in, in that sort of year preceding it you had 2015 with the release of star wars battlefront which was not amazing let's perhaps say that um questionably priced and such and, and um perhaps missing a few pieces of bits and bobs then you had um the the stuff on the other side of it, Titanfall being released alongside uh, Battlefield One and um, uh, Call of Duty, for example, and it just what what were EA doing at the time? And I wonder if it's something to do with the release schedule and the sort of motivation and and the emphasis they were putting in the game, which meant that it just didn't quite catch on fire. Mm. They were doing some really strange stuff at that particular point in the year, and you have to think that somebody who was in the marketing department really didn't have a particularly fun time at that moment so i think it had the the potential and the means to do much better than it did and i think because it went the way that it did we'll probably never see a sequel in my opinion at least maybe you're right i suspect you may well be uh, ea dice have other fish to fry sure. but it left us if nothing else with this cool song by uh, a, a well-liked hit band churches and uh yeah if nothing else we can enjoy that so uh rich thanks for joining me again my pleasure and we'll leave you listeners with warning call by churches